Will quantum cryptography affect the domain name system and DNSSEC and things like that? And if so, kind of in what time frame? It's episode 368 of the Dan York Report, and today I was at the 66th meeting of ICANN here in Montreal, Canada, and I was attending what's called Tech Day, where there are all sorts of different kinds of presentations. There were some on, uh, all related to DNS, of course, in some way. There were things around how to prevent DDoS attacks and people using Raspberry Pis to go and set up DNS things. Uh, There was a presentation about the Canadian IXP landscape, about application port scanning, about using things like Whois and RDAP, about machine learning, um, early warning systems for root changes, uh, security practices, migration of domains, all sorts of different kinds of things. But the final session at the end of the day was one that I want to talk about a bit because uh, it was a fascinating one. It was about quantum cryptography and the DNS. And I'll have a link to the set of slides in the show notes. So you can just go and look on soundcloud.com slash danyork for this uh, session. And you can see what the link was to go and see it. But the session, the presentation was by uh, John Levine, who's been around ICANN circles and security circles for a while in different ways. And he was saying, you know, so we all hear about quantum computing and quantum cryptography and all these things. And, and was John laid out in his slides really about, uh, well, what is the situation? Should we be concerned and all of that? You know, and, and he, he starts out with, should we panic? And says, no. And it's complicated, as he talks about, because the reality is that right now today, the digital signatures like we use in DNSSEC or TLS, SSL, the thing you're listening to this podcast over, which was the HTTPS that you use somewhere in there to get to this, all of these encryption mechanisms that we have right now or signature mechanisms, they, they depend on something called public key cryptography. You have a private key that, that encrypts things or signs things, and you have a public key which decrypts or, uh, or checks a signature. All of those things. All of those mechanisms that we have today, public key cryptography relies on one-way math problems that are hard for people to solve. So they'll take a couple of very large integers, prime numbers, whatever, something. They'll go and they'll factor them and they'll wind up with some kind of hash or some kind of way to go and do it. It all works off of this theory around doing very large, complicated math problems. So uh, the RSA algorithm does uh, factoring large integers. We also have elliptic curve algorithms, which use various different kind of logarithmic things. There's all sorts of different kinds of stuff that's out there, but they all rely on math problems being incredibly hard for computers to solve in in a reasonable amount of time. So the question is, Uh, what happens when you start to be able to solve those problems? What we've seen is that as with, uh, as computing, as normal computing power has increased, we've moved in, we've made the keys bigger. So like RSA keys used to be 512 bits. Now they're, then they were 1024, now they're 2048. We keep making them bigger so that they're harder and harder to crack using today's computing technology. Well, the promise of quantum computers is that because, and this gets beyond my own 
capacity. But as you look at in, in quantum computers, there's instead of bits, you have qubits, Q-U-B-I-T-S, and they can represent different values at the same time. And in theory, in the way that they're working, you could solve more things simultaneously. So the theory goes is that quantum computers could theoretically be able to break more uh, combinations. They could try more combinations. They could factor those math problems a lot faster, a lot easier. So what the concern is certainly is that quantum computers could go and, and render a lot of the kind of cryptography you use these days irrelevant because they would be so fast to be able to go and solve the, the key issues. They'd be able to break apart the signatures and the keys and then from there be able to go and forge it. Now, as John notes in his slides, I mean, one challenge today is that quantum computers are really hard to build. They're very sensitive. They need to have a lot of different kinds of shielding or run at very different kinds of temperatures. They're, they're, they're very limited today, but they are getting better, faster, and, and John made the point that if you think back to where computers were back in the, in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and all that, and you think of how far they've come to where we are today, quantum computing could go on that same kind of time scale, only a lot faster. Instead of you know four or five or six decades, it may happen within years or something like that. So, you know, as he pointed out, we don't know the time frame when they'll be able to break our current codes. It could be 10 years, it could be 15, it could be 20, 25, 30, who knows? But somewhere in here, it's anticipated that there will be a time when quantum computers can break the things that are there. Now, here in the United States, well, actually, I'm in Canada, but in the United States, the National Institutes for Standards and Technology, NIST, has been looking at what they call post-quantum crypto algorithms, basically what kind of cryptographic algorithms could be used that would sustain the attack of um, a quantum computer that would be sufficiently hard or done in a way that would be difficult for a quantum computer to calculate? What could you do? They've actually been going through a process to identify potential algorithms that are there. And they're on a time frame where this year, in 2019, they've gone through a round of uh, the second round of different equip, equip encryption candidates. John notes that there are 17 public keys right now, some candidates right now. There are um, nine digital signature candidates. They're expecting another round in 2020 and 2021, and then looking for the standards and the, and the work to happen in 2022 and 2024. Now, we'll have to see, I mean, what, what will happen on that? John talks about, you know, the, the challenge this has with DNS is that one of the big factors that could affect things is that it could wind up increasing the size of the keys that we need for digital signatures. Um, and if we do that, it could get to the point where we go beyond the size of what DNS records can allow right now. Um, his position, and, and I tend to agree with John, is that it's not really going to affect the DNS anytime soon and, and possibly never in, in some of the different ways. We'll have to see, I mean, what we get into. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll be able to increase the key lengths to stay ahead of quantum computers, maybe. And, but it's so much unknowns because we don't know how fast quantum computers 
will, uh, will move. We don't know how fast that whole technology space will move ahead. We don't know uh, what to see there. John points out, though, that some of the algorithms that NIST is, uh, is considering could have very large keys. And some of those keys, as I said earlier, may exceed the size that we could actually be put into a DNS record. John uh, points out that NIST is actually, right now, until um, December 6th, is having a com an open comment period around what these algorithms are, what these post-quantum keys could be. And so if you're interested in this kind of thing, if you're curious about this kind of thing, you could go and, and find the NIST request for comment and, and leave them comments before December 6th, which is when it goes. Um, we'll have to see. I think there's experiments happening. People are looking at this. It was a fascinating talk because I hadn't really sat and, and thought through all of the different aspects around this and, and looking at this. I tend to agree with John that I don't see it as something that will affect DNS and then DNSSEC and the DKIM, some of the pieces that rely on digital signatures. I don't know if that will affect it anytime soon, but it's certainly something to be thinking about and looking about as, as we go on, as we move toward this, as quantum cryptography, quantum computing continues to be something people are looking at. Um, what will the effect be? How will it change the keys that we're using, the signatures that we're using, what will we have to do to adapt? No answers today, perhaps more questions than anything else, but something to pay attention to as we continue to move into this world and look at how to make it even more secure and, and more trusted in some different ways. Again, I'll leave the link to the, show, to the um, slides that were here in uh, the show notes. You can take a look at that, see John Levine's picture and, and all of that. And, uh, and see what you think. You can leave comments to this at soundcloud.com slash danyork or on any of the social media where you find this episode. And you can find more of my audio and writing at danyork.me. I guess in full disclosure, I should mention that John Levine is on the board of trustees of the Internet Society that is my employer, although that had nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that I'm talking about this presentation. I'm talking about it because I found it really fascinating and interesting. But in full disclosure, I should mention that. Anyway, again, you can find more of my audio and writing at danyork.me. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.